0: this A's cast download is brought to you by Link soul check out their spring collection go to linksoul.com and by nest bedding love where you sleep go to nestbedding.com from baseball's top personalities the Hall of Famer one of the great TV broadcasters Bob Casas is here on A's cast live to the A's legendary players five-time Major League baseball home run champ Mark McGuire is with us here you never know what
1: stories you're going to hear he thinking about it at lunch run with our shirts off (laughs) you would say this is a's unfiltered with chris townsend
0: this is going to be an emotional a's unfiltered with chris townsend as we are talking to four men who are remembering someone who meant so much to him It is sad that we recently have lost the three-time World Series champion, the MVP, and the Cy Young Award winner, Vida Blue. What a special man he was. Touched so many different people. All the relationships with everybody in the baseball community, especially in the Bay Area. We brought people on to remember him. We did a special on A's Cast Live, and we started with the Hall of Famer, Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh, it's Chris Townsend. How are you?
2: Hi, hey, Chris. How are you doing?
0: Uh, doing well. And I know we just spoke with you recently at the 1973 reunion. Um, I hate to bring you back under these circumstances. It's obviously a very tough day in the A's family. Vita Blue meant so much to so many people. Such a great person. And I know he was a close friend of yours.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I- I knew uh, I've known Vida ever since Scully when he first came up. So I think he came up at the end of the season in '69, then went back to the minor leagues, and, and he, uh, he brought him up at the end of the season. I think in 19, uh, I think it was 1970, and uh, he proceeded to throw a no-hitter. I think the first or second start that he that he had, he just blew away the Twins. So he was he was certainly um, a great young pitcher, and uh, you could see that he was uh, he was ready for stardom.
0: Yeah, you know what's always so interesting to me about Vida, Raleigh was that, as big of a star that he became, the the small town boy from Louisiana never left. That was always
2: fascinating to me. Oh yeah, no, he uh, he loved the fans, and uh, he had uh, you know he had no he had no problem signing an autograph for kids. I don't I don't think I ever saw him turn down an autograph for a kid. So. Uh, he was very accessible to the public, uh, and the people loved him. And uh, uh, you know when he pitched, uh, we usually uh, we usually filled up the ballpark when he pitched, especially after he threw his no hitter. Everybody wanted to see another one. He, he was amazing. 19 1971 uh, uh, that year uh, he was uh, unhittable. He was uh, amazing for a rookie for a rookie player. I mean, I would go down to the bullpen and and watch him warm up before he started. And uh, I just walked back to the dugout and say, Boys, game over. Because <laughs> he's throwing everything 97, 98 miles an hour, hitting the glove with every pitch, uh, had a good cut fastball, good sinking fastball, good velocity, great big curveball. I mean, he's locked your knees with a curveball uh, if you're a left hander. So uh, he had great stuff. And in 71, um, uh, he had an unbelievable year, won the Cy Young MVP, won everything. And then um, I think one of his biggest downfalls was. His second year in '72 he got into a, a contract dispute with Charlie Finley, and Charlie kept him out of spring training. He started late, uh, didn't have a real, didn't have a real good year. I think he's only won six or seven ball games, and I think that really hurt him not being able to come to spring training and get in shape with the with the rest of the guys for that season.
0: You know, we don't we magazines aren't what they used to be, and when we try and tell the younger generation of A's fans, just how big of a star he became. Here he is, just not on Sports Illustrated and Baseball Digest. I mean, he's on the cover of Time Magazine. He's on the cover of Newsweek. You know, we didn't have cable television and we didn't have all that different stuff. Just talk about how fast really Vita Blue and Oakland A became a household name
2: and a star. Well, he, uh. That year in '71, uh, that he had, uh, he was uh, just beating everybody, and uh, uh, and uh, the press would, I mean, the press and the fans at the ballpark, there would be an extra 10, 15,000 people at the ballpark every time he pitched, because uh, he was a phenom in '71. Uh, I mean, he was, uh, it was just unbelievable the, the stuff that he had and the way he pitched, and I mean, he carried us through the '71 season into the into the playoffs. And I think we won 102 ball games that year. It was crazy. And um, I think one of the other things that probably um, in '71, uh, Dick Williams uh, only let him length the last two two uh, starts he had during the season. Uh, they only let him go five innings, and then they took him out uh, because they were getting them wanted to get him ready for the playoffs. They didn't want him pitching nine innings, but he was so strong that that uh, you know he could he could probably throw. A heck of a lot more than five innings, and he, I think if he if he have thrown more innings towards the end of that season, he would have probably had a better uh, a better postseason that year. We got beat by Baltimore in uh, in three games, but uh, he was a he was a workhorse. I mean, he was strong. Uh, you go out there and he no problem with him throwing more. I mean, I remember one ball game against the Angels. Uh, he started against Rudy May, and he went 12, 12 shutout innings, and the score is nothing to nothing after twelve. And I came in to relieve him, and I pitched seven innings, and the uh, score's still nothing to nothing. <laughs> so he was a strong guy, and uh, he I, he had to, he had to have close to 150 complete games in his career. So he was he was a workhorse. He could go out there and go nine easy.
0: And he was a terrific athlete. I mean, could have played college football as a quarterback. He was a really good hitter. I mean, all the guys were a good hitter, good hitters, really. I mean, I look at it. in 1968 on this date catfish hunter throws a perfect game and what's crazy also he went he he, uh he went three for what he drove in three of the four runs so catfish hunter has a perfect game and he drives in he has three rbis three out of the four runs i mean (laughs) you guys for and ken holtzman could hit so i mean you guys had a very not only were these guys really good pitchers they were really good
2: athletes yeah oh yeah kenny kenny was a great hitter and uh, he had a home run in the world series uh, Catfish, uh, there was I think, a couple of games in '73 when they adopted the DH that uh, Dick Williams let him let him hit, in his a uh, nice spot because he hit he had, he had over 300, I think, in uh, one year. I think in '72 he hit over 300. So yeah, we had a pretty good uh, hitting good hitting staff as far as the pitchers. We always took batting practice, and um, we had uh, we had a great uh, pitching staff that could hit, so that that helped out. But when the DH got um, Uh, We got got in there in 73. Um, Almost all the pitchers were taken out and uh, the DH was used. But uh, Catfish was one of the few that let uh, uh, the manager let him go ahead and hit.
0: You know, the All-Star game has changed over the years. It's truly just a glorified exhibition now. But back in your guys' day, the All-Star game was a really big deal. The entire country watched it. You guys really wanted to win it. There was truly that National League versus the American League. And Vida Blue was the first guy to start the game for the American League. Start the game for the National League. He won the game for both leagues. So there was the World Series. There was the stuff with the A's. And then there was, you know, other stuff that happened in his career. He had a he he I think in the end, Raleigh, he won three All-Star games.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know his total stats, but there's probably a good chance. I know he made six or seven all-star teams. And uh, usually uh, when he did he was usually the starting pitcher. So if he went the you know the mandatory three innings, uh, I'm sure he got a win. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was always up for the big games. He could, he could pitch. He, uh, he knew what he was doing out there, and he had, he had pretty good control. He had a good strikeout pitcher, too. He, he had no problem striking out 10, 11, 12 guys a game. And uh, he, was, uh, he was a horse. He was a workhorse for us.
0: Well, let's end on this. I know this 73 reunion was so big uh, for you guys to see each other. And we talked to you about cherishing these moments. Um, just talk about, you know, when, when you do have that opportunity, and hopefully we're going to do it again next year celebrating 74, that you enjoy every single minute because, you know, tomorrow's promised
2: to nobody. Well, that's for sure. I, I never thought Ray uh, Ray Fosse would pass away at the age did, or Sal Bando, uh, and now Vida. You know, we lost uh, we lost three three key players during those uh, 72-3-4 World Series years. So it was uh, it's been a sad uh, sad year for us as far as ballplayers uh, passing away on those three teams. But um, you know, I saw Vida at the reunion. Uh, I think it was three or four weeks ago, and he was walking with a cane. And I asked him how he was doing, and he He said that, uh, you know, he's been dealt. His words were, "I think I've been dealt a bad hand." (laughs) I said, "Well, you hang in there, pal." Uh, They were trying some new type of chemotherapy, I think, with him. uh, That he said, and uh, um, I don't know. I don't know how bad his cancer was at the time, but uh, uh, obviously it was pretty bad.
0: Well, uh, you mean so much to this franchise, to this franchise history, to the fan base. Take care of yourself, be well, and and hopefully we'll talk soon under better circumstances.
2: Okay, thank you. Thanks for calling.
0: The great Raleigh Fingers, the Hall of Famer, the A's Hall of Famer. From Raleigh Fingers to a man that spent a lot of time with Vida, won a lot of games with him, also a three-time World Series champion and an Oakland A's Hall of Famer, here's Joe Rudy. And the great Joe Rudy joins us. Joe, I, I we just talked to Raleigh, and same thing for you. Thank you for coming on. I know we just talked recently at the 1973 reunion. Uh, my condolences. I, I know how much Vida meant to you, how much he meant to all of us, but how much he meant to you guys. Uh, you won so much. You guys were all so close. It's got to be a tough day. <laughs>
3: Uh, it was definitely a shock, uh, Dietrich Page, you know, that handles all the alumni people for the for the A's, has done a great job over the years, and I know she was so close to Vida also, and she called me yesterday to tell me that he had passed away, and I was just in shock. I, I just, I knew that he was not doing well. I just didn't know that it was that serious when we saw him. I'm just so happy that he came. I mean, you think yeah. about uh, his condition when he came to be around the guys. I mean, that took a lot of gumption to show up, and... And be there, and I'm just so, so happy that he that he came to the reunion. I mean, that meant, meant everything to all of us now as we look back. Uh, it's just uh, hard, hard to believe.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I started the broadcast yesterday against the Kansas City Royals with that message that I think it was so special that he was able one more time to see you guys who are not only his teammates but like his brothers, for you guys to be together together one more time, and now knowing what's happened, how how really special that moment was celebrating the 73 team.
3: It, it really was a great time to be together. Like I said, we lost too many of the guys already. and uh, But, you know, for him to come and spend that time with us, and uh, I knew that he wasn't doing well. Or I don't think any of us knew how sick he really was. And, uh, you know, he, he was there through the dinners and, sitting down in the lobby with all of us is you know talking and about the old times and stuff and uh, you know it, i I'm, i wouldn't trade the time i played for today and the money for anything because we had such a great time you know m- most of us played together for 10 15 years and you just yeah. don't do that anymore and uh, you know all of us started out in the minor leagues more or less together worked our way up and uh, you know, when Vani came up. Uh, you know, he reminded me so much of Reggie. I mean, how could God give one guy so much talent? And you know, Vandy was such a great athlete. He was I think he was all state. Um, a lot of people were recruiting him to be a quarterback down there in football. And um, you know, Mr. Finley was able to talk him into playing baseball, which a great blessing for us because he sure had a great career with the A's. You know, when when I
0: think about a a small-town guy, you were a small-town guy, obviously from the Central Valley in California. Amazing that you small-time guys all of a sudden did some big-town things, and next thing you know, you guys are winning World Series, and here comes the stardom. Just take us through what that was like for yourself, for, for Vita Blue, where you guys came from, and now you're on the national stage year after year after year.
3: Well, I I think it goes back to most of us who are so blessed to have some great people in our lives early on. You know, I grew up in a little small town called Waterford, which is about 15 miles east of Modesto, uh, about 100 miles you know, east of the Bay Area there, and uh, I was very blessed uh, with the, the number of neighbor kids that were in my neighborhood. We grew up playing baseball in the street all day long, every day, and the weather was good where we could play most of the year round. And then I had some great uh, Little League uh, Babe Ruth coaches and was, again, blessed to move to Modesto for high school. And I had a a gentleman named Jerry Streeter who had played uh, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years in the Dodgers organization. I know he spent about five or six years in AAA behind Maury Wills at shortstop and retired a few years before I had got to uh, Downey High School and became my coach and uh, made me play shortstop of all things. Uh, through high school because that's where you learn the most. He said, you probably end up in the outfield later on. And I didn't know what he meant by later on. You know, I'm a freshman, sophomore kid in high school. And uh, he guided me along the way. And then we were blessed to, you know, sign with the Kansas City A's. People don't realize that people, you know, we had um, Hall of Fame coaches. Luke Appling, who was a a Hall of Fame shortstop from the White Sox. Gabby Hartnett, Hall of Fame uh, catcher. and just uh, so many really. John McNamara, who was really my tutor, played Double A for him, and he gave me my chance to play in 1970. Went spring training in 1970, and of course Reggie was holding out, and and Mac told me he said, "Hey, the left field job is yours to lose. You're going to play every inning of every game of spring training," and uh, which I ended up doing, and uh, was fortunate enough, you know, to run onto another great gentleman called Charlie Lau who dramatically changed my approach at hitting and taught me how to hit the other way and all that stuff. And uh, again, you know, nobody makes it by themselves. You, you look back, I'm sure Vida had the same people in his life and growing up where he had done down South. And uh, what, a, what a great, you know, sports area that, that Louisiana is. I mean, you just look at the number of great players that have come out of that area. Yeah. I
0: think Vida, as, as you mentioned, the football, <clears throat> just a terrific athlete, just blessed with that arm. I mean, the ability to throw. We didn't have radar guns then. We weren't tracking, but everybody knew. He was throwing high 90s, if not at times triple digits. He was yep. He was just blessed. I mean, and, and, and it's like he had the perfect attitude, the perfect upbringing to be the aw shucks, but had the great personality and could turn on the charm. So when stardom came his way, he was really young, he was good looking. It was like, bam, here you go. He had the name, Vitable. It's like everything worked. and it just boom, he became an actual American sports
3: star. Uh, without a question, you know, I mean, we just got a small taste of what was to come at the end of 1970. I think he maybe had a half a dozen starts. I can't remember. Uh, can't remember if he threw a one hitter, no hitter or something in there, but he did, he had a couple of really good games in, in the few starts he had at the end. I think maybe he got called up you know, the last month of the season there in 1970. And of course came in 1971 with uh, Dick Williams showing up as our new manager. And, um, he just had such a live arm. I mean, the ball just exploded up there and, uh, 71, he was l- almost literally unhittable. I mean, he had, uh, had a great curveball and just the fastball had exploded and uh, like you said he, he he was such a great character on top of all that stuff he always had a smile on his face and it was just a lot of fun to be around he was another one of those guys we had so many of them catfish and you know Reggie uh, was super uh, all of us that sort of in the group there that uh, knew each other you know couldn't pull any crap on each other because we knew each other from the time we were teenagers, and uh, it just worked. You knew you were a big deal when you were on the road
0: and people were paying to come see you from the opposing town.
3: That's when you know you were a big deal. Well, I think in 71 we led the major leagues in attendance on the road. I mean, I I think we drew two or three million people. I mean, every time we played on the road that year, we were packing the stands, especially when Vida pitched. And uh, it it was incredible. It really was the turnout and how he handled it and got through that year and uh, really didn't have a drop-off. It was amazing.
0: Well, you you talk about you guys coming up together. It's so special that it's something that's lost in professional sports. I understand free agency, and it's great for players and and for them financially for all these years. But the relationships – that we just see in every sport, the player movement. You just don't have what you guys had. Just talk about what that meant. As, as young men, you get brought together and you spend all those years together. You grow up together. You grow as professionals. You grow as husbands. You grow as fathers. Just talk about what that period of time was like in baseball for you guys.
3: Well, it, like I said, it was so great because we all signed in that early period, went through the minor leagues together. You know, when you're in the minor leagues, you're all try to live together, especially that, that when we're, we're married. And you know, my wife Sharon and I got married in 1966 in Modesto. We played there. And, of course, we had Reggie and Duncan and Fingers, uh, La Russa. I think I think there was 12 or 14 guys on that Modesto team that went to the big leagues. And the next year, we all together went to Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, and played baseball down there and uh, we all lived down in an apartment complex and uh, had to have team parties together which we had a few ruckuses over that but that's <laughs> another story and uh anyway we survived playing ball in the south and uh reggie and i you know went up and down so i think i started the season 67 actually a left fielder in kansas city got sent down after the first month, and played there, and of course Reggie and Duncan and I went up and down a few times, and so we all you know lived together. So the wives are together when we were on the road, and and then you know the next year we move into uh, the Bay Area with Oakland in '68, and, 68. and uh, I know you know uh, Tennis and Fossey and Bando myself, a bunch of us all lived out in the Danville area, Walnut Creek area, rode to the ballpark every day. Took turns driving, and wives would pick each other up and go to the game together. And then, you know, it was it was just a big family thing. Like I said, you don't see those many years that we spent doing those things, to, you know, together. Watch, you know, we take a turn watching our kids. If they had a special, you know, anniversary or something, we'd bring the kids over to our house, and and we watch them, and vice versa. And uh, like I said, you get so close to the guys that uh, you know it was. Uh, I'm looking back at 19, you know, '76 when Raleigh and I invited got sold, and I never remember going in that clubhouse that night. And I was my equilibrium was totally screwed up. I mean, going from the A's one day in the same ballpark to Red Sox for, for Raleigh and myself, uh, you know, I, I again, I, what 13 years? I guess I've been with A's by then. It was so hard to. Uh, imagine going anywhere else and uh again that's one of those great things from from playing that many years together that you get that close do you have a
0: picture of you or raleigh ever in a red sock uniform
3: i've got a few stuck away someplace yeah i've had people send them to me of uh, various you know pictures of us there and uh you know we, we ended up not yeah. Not playing that night. And of course the commissioner overturned all 3 of our yeah. trades or sales, I should say, and uh so it, it was definitely a shock. It was uh very strange to uh, all of a sudden put on a different uniform. You're on a team that you never played for. <laughs> exactly. It was uh, it was strange. You know, uh, Daryl Johnson was uh, DJ was the manager of uh of the Red Sox and he lived out not too far from us and actually went duck hunting with him on quite a few times in the, in the off season. So he and his wife were good friends of ours. And uh, he told me, he said, somehow, some way I'm going to get your butt over here. And uh, I'm not quite sure how he pulled, you know, got the the owner to go for that, but uh, it was, I think that trade would have stayed. And I can't imagine the Red Sox and the Yankee battles back then with having the Raleigh fingers coming out of the bullpen.
0: Well, I tell you what. I know for the fans these reunions and I know 72 you had the flight problems, but uh, I know I know for the fans it's a big deal, but what it means to you guys. And, and that's the thing. I just I'm so glad Vida got to be there and we get to cherish the moments and you guys with your families being there in 73 and hopefully we're going to do it again for 1974 cuz we we truly we truly have to celebrate you guys, your time together as players and as champions truly cherish it and because I know it means so much to you guys because you know you can't say it enough and we'll end on this that you know you guys just weren't teammates you were like brothers.
3: Well when you spend that much time together and and from an early age growing up and having children and you know getting into your 30s at, uh, a lot of water under the bridge.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's always great to have you on. I hate to bring you on uh, under these circumstances, but thank you so much for taking the time there in Florida. You've always been so good to us here on A's cast. Be well, and let's talk later on during the season.
3: Okay. We will see you in August. Plan on being out there for uh, for the guys going in in August. So it's uh, very nice of the A's to do all this and, and, you know, bring back the guys for the times that we have. So, Definitely looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Take care, Joe.
3: Thank you. You too. God bless.
0: The great Joe Rudy, A's Hall of Famer, three-time World Series champion, class act, and another teammate that watched Vita grow from the start. He was one of the older statesmen of the team, coming from Kansas City to Oakland, the three-time World Series champion, Dick Green. Three-time World Series champion, known as one of the best defensive players that we do. of his time. Dick, it's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Thank you for coming on the program. Hi, Chris. Uh, obviously, the, these are these are very tough times to hear about your old teammate Vita Blue, as you recently got to see him at the '73 celebration. Uh, but we're honoring Vida because we know that Vida, you know, he'd he'd want us to celebrate his life because what a life it was. He would. And talk about as a teammate, what it was like to play with him. And, and, and as you being a little bit older than Vida to watch him grow as a young ball player.
4: Uh, well, I was there when he came and he was, uh, was 18, 19 years old. And, uh, uh, he was from the South and, uh, he said, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And he, um, he was a young boy that, uh, had all the manners and, uh, and uh, grew up to be uh, a person that everybody just loved.
0: Yeah, playing behind him, what was it like? You know, you talk about a left-hander. There's, by the time Vida got into the league, there's only so many left-handers that could throw high 90s up to 100 miles an hour. I mean, obviously, Sandy Koufax is somebody you think about. Just what was it like playing behind a guy who was left-handed and was just so electric on the mound?
4: Well, well, first of all, we had no uh, idea how fast he um, was throwing back then. We uh, they, they didn't have anything that uh, calculated the uh, how fast the the uh, pitch, pitches were. You know when he went over to San Francisco. I suppose um, later on. I don't know if that was the time that uh, that uh, they uh, gauged those um, how fast it was or not. But uh, <laughs> he was a pleasure to play behind. Absolutely pleasure. He uh, had one of the most fantastic years in 71 that I have never seen before. And I was, I, I was with Catfish Hunter quite a few years also, by the way. And he had two pitches. And uh, it was a fastball and a changeup that year. And uh, nobody could hit either one of them. Um, he got the ball, and he threw it right away. He didn't mess around at all. He just got the ball. And you know what? It's a pleasure to see the uh, pitchers nowadays do that. Uh, it's um, I, I started watching baseball again just because of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, trust us. It's been a lot better for all of us. And I just think about, like, your entire staff, like – uh, when you talk about Ken Holtzman, Ken Holtzman wanted to be out there in an hour and a half. I mean, he was not waiting around. Catfish Hunter was not waiting around. I mean, you guys had dinner reservations. You guys are ready to get in, get out, win, and move. I mean, I, I, th- that era of baseball was great. Everybody was working fast.
4: Yeah, well, and, uh, most everybody was, and we had, of course, we had pitchers that threw strikes all the time, and and uh, Holtzman. That's all Holtzman did was throw strikes. A few of them hit him, but uh, I, he didn't know what a ball was. <laughs> but by the blue, it was it was amazing, amazing, amazing year. We just, I just couldn't wait for him to get his uh, get his turn come around and uh, and watch him uh, throw those fastballs. Uh, uh, he must have been pretty sneaky because uh, I don't know why <laughs> he could throw one right down the middle and they couldn't hit it at times. So uh, it was sure a pleasure to. It'd uh, be behind him.
0: And when you guys would go on the road, people would pack the house because they wanted to see him pitch. When you guys were playing in opposing stadiums,
4: well, uh, for the last uh, five or six years, we were the biggest draw, biggest team that drew on the road, uh, and uh, that wasn't uh, uh, <laughs> that wasn't uh, any indication about what we drew at home. But uh, we had some loyal fans. <laughs>
0: Now, when you're playing behind Vida, how much did you have to start shifting over into the hole closer to first base? Because you knew how hard he was throwing, and, you know, guys are not going to be, especially for right-handed hitters, they're not going to be pulling the ball. They're going to be late on it.
4: That's that's true. Of course, it depends upon the count. Uh, if the guy has two strikes on him, of course, it, he's not going to. Pull the ball uh, like he's going to be doing the the first time, first uh, one or two strikes. But he, <laughs> we knew we knew how uh, the hitters. We had a, a meeting before every game, and and we knew what the hitters were doing. What was great about Vida was uh, he, the catcher. I, uh, the catchers would uh, put a target up there, and he'd hit it. You know, and as long as Uh, I knew what the target was going to be before he pitched. I I was going to be over there in that place that I needed to be. That's all.
0: You know, you you think about Vida becoming a star. I mean, he was a star before Reggie. Obviously, Reggie would be a star, too. But when, when you're sitting there and you're watching this kid who's a humble kid from the south, all of a sudden, he's on Time Magazine. He's on New we- Newsweek. Of course, Sports Illustrated and all the sports stuff. But now he's on mainstream magazines, Time, Newsweek. You saw him grow. He didn't change as a person. Just talk about how Vida Blue became a national sports star.
4: He, he never did change. Uh, he never, never did change. He was a, a humble uh, a, a ball player. All the time that I knew him, and all the—I don't know how many years did he uh, play in Oakland? Uh, six, seven? No, six—six six years in Oakland. Of course, he was—I think he was in Kansas. Yeah, he was in Kansas City too. Yeah, so.
0: he—but he played the majority. I think he's got He was the longest of all of you guys in Oakland. So I think it was almost nine. Let me check real oh,
4: quick. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. When I when I got out of there, I didn't—I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, keep track of anything. <laughs> 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 well, a lot of people, if they don't know,
0: you, you actually, let's see. Yeah, he was nine years in Oakland. You showed up. I mean, you were Kansas City. You, you, you were a part of the early days of Kansas City. I want to say you were around 64-ish, right around in there. So you saw Rick Monday get drafted. You saw all these guys coming. And here comes Reggie Jackson. And then to move to Oakland, you saw it all happen.
4: I was there when everything happened. I started in 63, actually, and um, um, I saw everybody come up. And uh, um, uh, Reggie, uh, uh, Campy, uh, Mo- I-, I saw everybody. Everybody came up. We all played. Uh, most of us played in Kansas City yeah. before we came to Oakland. Yeah, we knew we were great. The first couple of years I was in Oakland, we lost uh, 100 games every year. And then uh, later uh, in Kansas City. And then later, uh, we started winning, and uh, we knew we were, we were getting good. We really did. And when we went to Oakland, we, uh, we knew there was going to be something special if we all stayed together.
0: What year was your first year with the Kansas City Athletics, just in the organization?
4: Oh, I played uh, three and a half years in the minor leagues. My first year, actually I went to winter ball in 1959, uh, 18 years old out of high school.
0: The reason why I bring yep. that up, I wonder if you ever had any interaction. My grandfather was Bob Elliott, who was the MVP in '47, but he managed the athletic the the Kansas City Athletics in
4: 1960. Right, uh, I that was uh, three years earlier, and I was there. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, he wasn't happy with Charlie Finley, and he got out of there really, really fast. And all the stories are are, are pretty funny. Um, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday was the anniversary. Of catfish hunter's perfect game. What do you remember about that night against Minnesota?
4: Ah, uh, <laughs> something special. That's all I know. Uh, uh, normally, uh, <laughs> Harmon Killebrew uh, uh, really hits him well, but he didn't that day.
0: <laughs>
4: I know. Uh, all I know is uh, I don't even know who the catcher was uh, that caught the. Was that Paglaroni or something like that? Who? I don't, I don't. We can I don't look it remember. up. I don't know. 1968. I don't remember either. That's too long for me. That's that's over 50 years ago. So. Well,
0: it, it, well, the thing that the thing that amazes me is that you guys won four nothing, and Catfish drove in three of the four runs as a hitter.
4: Uh, oh, yeah. He hit. Uh, he hit uh, 50 points higher than I did all the time. <laughs> 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 he. Uh, I think. Uh, I think a couple of games that he hit eight and I hit nine. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure about that. By the way, you were he di- should have he should have been hitting eight.
0: <laughs> you were you were right on the catcher on that night.
4: Oh, is that right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you were right on that. By the way, uh Ray Fossey, who is obviously a dear friend of all of us, he would That's always sure. tell a story about you that when he showed up now. Ray would always joke in Cleveland that opening day, it was a sellout, and then after that, they'd be in last place, and they knew they were going to be in last place. And he'd always joke about his time in Cleveland. But he said when he came over to Oakland, he was shocked, and it was you who told him, they said, don't worry about it, Ray, we're going to win the World Series. And he was like, I just couldn't believe how confident these guys were. And he was right cuz you guys would go on and also win in 73 and 74. Ray Fossey would always tell that story about your conversation with him at the start of spring training in
4: 1973. Yeah, I, that's probably one of the <laughs> the reasons I came back. I actually I tried to retire 3 or 4 years before then and then uh, uh Mr. Finley would uh talk me into coming back again. So uh but um, we knew uh well when you when you have players like the pitching staff we had and the players we had, boy, I mean, you have to be optimistic about uh, um, the whole thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we talk about it all the time. You know, when you look at the timeline of baseball, you can't tell the history of baseball and not talk about the Oakland athletics from the 70s. I mean, now you sit back and, you, you know, hopefully we're going to have another reunion here for the 74 team. Uh, When you look back at at the team, your teammates, just talk about just how special it was to see Vida one last time at the 73 reunion and for you guys all to be together at the 73 reunion and to celebrate the greatness that you guys were.
4: Uh, I I got to sit right next to uh, uh, Vida at our little party um, uh, before we left. And I... I'm so glad I sat there for five, 10 minutes, just talking to him. And, uh, uh, I, first thing I asked him if, if he was in any pain and he said, he said, no, he wasn't in any pain, but, um, I, I, I had a sneaking feeling. He may not be there for their next anniversary, uh, next anniversary, but I didn't know it was going to be this quick.
0: Well, we always appreciate your time. Be well, and we'll talk hopefully soon, and for sure next year when we honor the 1974 team.
4: Well, I'm hoping I'm around, and thank you very much. And uh, I um, I miss uh, Vida very, very much.
0: And whenever we're talking history, we got to bring on Marty Lurie. Marty Lurie, a baseball historian, what he has meant to Bay Area baseball. He is a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer, all his time doing A's radio, but how he's covered the game from the big leagues to the minor leagues and the history of baseball. If we're going to remember Vita Blue, you got to have Marty Lurie on. If you're going to have a show like this, you got to have somebody that has the historical perspective and. You know, we like to bring him on for a lot of different things, but I think today was a day that we had to have Marty Lurie on Uh, because no one knows this game, no one knows Bay Area baseball, no one knows the game of baseball, the history of it, the history of the A's, the history of the Giants, which Vita Blue is a big part of. He is a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. The great Marty Lurie is with us here on A's Cast Live. It's a tough day, Marty, but I think we all knew knew Vita well enough that he'd want us to celebrate his life, and I think that's what we need to do today.
1: Well, that's what Vita did in his whole life. He celebrated it. Uh, he brought such magnetism to the room. Uh, <clears throat> when you look at the heart of those teams, and it's just, what a lineup today. I don't know why I'm on with this lineup. This is amazing just to hear Joe Ro- Rudy talk. <clears throat> but Vita, what he did in 1971, sort of got got everybody going. Uh, as it, because they turned into world champions in 71, of course, they lost to the Orioles. In the playoffs, but what Vita accomplished in '71 and the way he did it, and the way he captured the whole country, and the Bay Area, and the team, it, he was the mega star. It wasn't Reggie, it wasn't Sal Bando, it wasn't Gene Tennis, it wasn't Joe Catfish, or any of those people. In 1971, it was Vita Blue, and Vita Blue was just the the part of this team that became nationally known. And then things happened after that where they won some World Series. Of course, uh, a dynasty happened. But what Vita brought to the table was this authenticity that, wow, this guy is amazing. This is one of the best pitchers we've ever seen in our lives. And he's part of the Oakland A's. And then they went from there and of course won the championship. So for me, Vita brought something special to the ball club. When he came up, in 1970, Chris, he threw a one-hitter against Kansas City, and he said, okay, how about the next game? A no-hitter <laughs> against Minnesota. And that was 1970, so we couldn't wait to see this kid. And then he comes back in 71 and is just fabulous, goes to the All-Star Game and starts that game and, and all the comments about him light on Time magazine and this magazine and that magazine. He was a national treasure. And what gets me about him is that that was the beginning of the Oakland A's dynasty when Vida stood up and said, hey, I'm the best in the world and my team is the best, too. I
0: and, and it's tough to tell the younger crowd because magazines are not a big deal. But back in those days, when you're talking time, you're talking Newsweek. This not Sp- this Yeah, Sports Illustrated, Baseball Digest, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was on Ebony, too, but – Time and Newsweek, the circulation was so unbelievable. And to have him as a young African-American pitcher pitching for the Oakland A's on the cover, the name Vita Blue was unique. He became a household name. He was a star. I heard um, Barack Obama, President Obama was talking about when he was growing up that all of a sudden like he was into baseball. And even though he was a White Sox fan, it was like Vita Blue. I mean, when you have the president of the United States talking about, I grew up a big Vita Blue fan. I, you know, for for everything that's going on in our Oakland world, I think it's hard for people to realize how big of a star, a household name, no cable television, no internet, no social media, and he was a bona fide American sports star.
1: Well, and not only that, but he he put Oakland on the map. Don't forget the ball club got here in 1968. So it's 1969, 1970, they're getting a little bit better. And then in 1971, he put Oakland on the map. Who knew about the Oakland A's at that point? In 71, they win the division. And Vita Blue was, was the star. He was the national star of this ball club. And I'll, I'll look, if you went to games, and I got to the Bay Area in May of 1972. Now, of course, Vita has the dispute the holdout with charlie finley at that point and uh you know charlie says well i'm not going to sign you and vita says all right i'm going to sell plumbing supplies you know so now he's not playing for half the season (laughs) Yeah, that's what he said it was it was crazy it was crazy now here's vita blue and the season he comes off of and charlie's not going to pay him all right so meanwhile he then gets signed and now he's going through a spring training, whatever it is, and now he's getting ready to pitch. Well, Charlie would have these half-price nights on Monday night, and you'd have like 50,000 people there. And I think I can remember maybe the first game I ever went to at the Oakland Coliseum, and it had to be the summer of 1972. I went to see Vita pitch, and it was 50,000 people there, 50,000 or 40,000, whatever the capacity was, it was filled up. And I sat down the right field line. The sun was in my eyes. I was right by the foul pole on the second deck in the right field line, that little part of the deck that went over uh, onto the field. Couldn't see anything. But I couldn't wait to get to the park for the electricity and the excitement of Vita Blue. And that's how I got initiated into Oakland A's baseball in 1972. And then the big thing about Vita, people have to remember – 72 was kind of a lost year for him because he didn't have a spring training and he didn't obviously pitch uh, very much during the year. But when they played the Tigers in the world, in the uh, playoffs, it was a tremendous playoff. This is where Campy throws the bat at Laron LeGro and Billy Martin. And, then, you know, it's a crazy Willie Horton. The whole situation was nuts. Well, it came down to game five in Detroit. To have campy had to be uh, with a police escort in the hotel and it was it was just nuts so Blue Moon gets the start in uh, in game five and it's huge this is to win the pennant and it's in Detroit Detroit the, and the place has gone nuts because of the whole Campy Lair on incident. well Blue Moon goes in about six innings and then he couldn't pitch anymore. the emotion of the moment overcame Blue Moon he couldn't pitch well who did they go to Vita Blue. And that's when Vita Blue took the ball, bailed out Blue Moon, his friend, and went the remainder of that game and put the A's into the World Series and the rest is history. But 72 for Vita, those innings that he pitched in game five against the Tigers may be the biggest innings he pitched in his life.
0: Well, I, I just think of the historical part of his career. And you have to talk about the All Star Game as the All Star Game back then really meant something. The country cared about the all star game. They cared who won the all star game. The players. The players cared. It was national league versus an American League. They were two different entities. The National League had its own president. The American League had its own president. They were different, and they were coming to play. And Vida Blue started the game as a A. He started the game as a giant. He won the game as an American League pitcher and a National League pitcher. So we could talk World Series awards. He also has his own All-Star history.
1: Well, the 71 All-Star game was unbelievable. You got to remember, Vita grew up in Mansfield, Louisiana, and his dad died when he was in high school. Vita was a great quarterback. He could have been a fabulous quarterback in those days. His grandfather used to sit on the porch and tell him about Jackie Robinson and about the integration of baseball and things like that. We're talking about Mansfield, Louisiana here. And Vita, when he got to pitch in 1971, there's some interviews with him about facing Willie Mays and facing Hank Aaron, and facing Clemente. And Vito, just to hear his voice and know the pride he had and the honor he had of pitching for the American League against those players that he grew up watching and idolizing and understanding who they were and what they meant to the game was huge. And he went out and started that All-Star game as a 21-year-old. Unbelievable. It really is one of the great... It's still one of the great moments of baseball history when you look at the lineups of those two teams and how many Hall of Famers were there. And of course, we remember the home run that Reggie hit off of Doc Ellis that not only went out of the stadium, but hit the transformer that was not down the line. It was in like right center field. Bob. That's, that's how far <laughs> Reggie hit it. He didn't pull down the line because people did that. They knocked it out yeah. and on cash. You hit it out and all that. But Reggie hit it in right center and hit the transformer. That ball would have gone, who knows, 550 feet, whatever it was. But it was a great game, and Vitas started that game. And I know in his heart what it meant to him to be pitching against Willie Mays. And, of course, he had heard so much about Willie from his family.
0: And By, by the way, um, happy birthday, Willie Mays. I mean, you talk about the greatest – living player that we have have was it happy 92 yep. amazing
1: yep. yep yeah 92 on saturday and uh again like Vida, you know Philippe lou uh taught me something and taught ron woda something uh and i talked to will all the time you know on the show on sunday mm-hmm. mornings and he said show me the man first then the player and i think that applied to willie and that applied to vita uh, they were exceptional men uh, in their own way, in different ways of relating to the world. But uh, they were amazing people. And then you look at what they accomplished in baseball. Uh, it's, it's just beyond belief. Uh, for Willie, people ask me, what was the best thing about Willie? I think running the bases. Chris, if you know, and I lived in Florida in the nineteen sixties, and you know, I didn't see giant games on TV. You know, they were at Candlestick. Wait, they put game. you didn't have the baseball package. You didn't have the app back in those days <laughs> yeah, to watch the there was games. No app. There was nothing. You had all to you read. Get, you had to read a book
0: about this stuff.
1: You were lucky. You got to see. If you were lucky, you got yeah. to see a game on Saturday, and but you'd never see a game from very rarely from Candlestick because of the time change and all that. So when I said to Willie, I, you know, and I did so many shows with him uh, and he chose me to be his interviewer, uh, which is the biggest honor, I think, of my life that Willie chose me to do that. And we did a number of shows in front of thousands of people. And uh, wow. I said to Willie, were you any good? And he says, I was all right. And I said, OK. And so I said to myself, what what did I remember about Willie? And it was the All-Star Games. Willie Mays took over the all-star game. He took it over. You, you, you watched it. He would lead off. He'd get a triple. He would steal a base. He'd hit a home run. It didn't matter. Walter Alston was the manager of the all-star team. And he would say to Willie, Willie, what do you think about the lineup today? And Willie would say, Walter, lead me off hit Hank Aaron second and Clemente third. I don't care what you do after that. And that that was the way (laughs) Willie was. You know, he gave uh, he gave Alvin Dark the signals of what pitches to throw from center field. Uh, he just took over a ball game, but it was his base running. I did a show with Harry Callis, remember the wonderful oh, yeah. broadcaster for the Phillies Mickey and Morandini. worked for the uh, Houston Astros in the '60s. And uh, I said to in those days I was doing it for the A's, you know, memories of the game. I did a memory of the game every every show. And I had Harry on. I said, Harry, what's your favorite baseball memory? And he said it was Willie Mays and running the bases. That was what Harry Callis said to me. And this was probably in 2004, four, three, somewhere in that range when I was doing those shows. So uh, Willie just touched everybody with the – he was dynamic with the power, the speed, the arm. He threw somebody out at home, Maury Wills, threw somebody out at third, this is the same game and had to throw to second to get the runner on second but tito fuentes dropped the ball and otherwise he would have had someone thrown out at just about every base so uh, that's how, that's what people think about willie and that's what they remember about him but these two players vida what he accomplished as 209 wins and what he accomplished in 1971 and if he had if it was a different time different ownership, different union, different rights for the players. Who knows what Vita would have accomplished, but Charlie really took the heart out of him uh, by not paying him in 1972. And that that's something I think that Vita still regrets, uh, did regret for his whole life.
0: And you two did a famous video together.
1: Oh yeah, boy, that is interesting. I got a text from Vince Catronio, um, the other day, same thing um, from me.
0: If you remember back,
1: yeah, what this was. Well, well let me let, the- let,
0: let, let, let me tell the story real quick. So, I, I'm in Kansas City with the Raiders, all right. And we're, we're, I can't remember what time of the year it was, but so I'm in Kansas City, and obviously, there is a little significance between my family and Jackie Robinson, as Jackie Robinson and his very first at bat. Grounded That's out good. to my grandfather, and there's something about it in the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, and I've always wanted to go. And it's a Saturday, I got nothing to do, so I immediately go over. I'm at the Negro League Museum, and I and I'm going through that first part of the timeline of it, right? And then all of a sudden, I hear, I hear, I hear two voices, and I'm looking around. I'm like, "That's Marty Lurie," and then all <laughs> of a sudden, it's that high pitch. I'm like, "That's Vita Blue." And, I'm, and it's, like, weird. I'm, like, in Kansas City, and I'm hearing Marty Lurie, and I, I walk into this room, and there's this video that you guys do, and I immediately texted you going, I'm listening <laughs> to you at the Negro League Museum in Kansas City.
1: I can't tell you how many people have, have done that. And the, the story was Crime of the Century, and it's the story of Lester Rodney, who was a sports writer who advocated for the integration of baseball in the 30s, and in the early 40s. And he was never really recognized for what he did because he was the sports editor of The Daily Worker, the communist paper. And because of that, he he didn't get the recognition from the other sports writers. But he was the one who pushed the hardest for the integration of baseball, Lester Rodney. And it's a great story. So they did a documentary about it. And they asked me to be the voice of Lester Rodney. So they, we had some of his columns that he wrote for the Daily Worker about why baseball should integrate challenging. Judge Landis, where are you? Baseball, why don't you grow up? Baseball, why don't you recognize African-American players? These kind of columns. And I would read from the column. That was my voice for Lester Rodney. And Vida was the voice of Satchel Page. So we would go back and forth, and they would tell the story. And uh, that's how the video came together. But it plays at the Negro League Museum. Uh, It's on a loop there. And I can't tell you how many people have heard it. And again, when I think of all the things that have happened in my life around baseball, there's so many honors. That's right up there with the biggest honor as well, uh, being chosen to be the voice of Lester Rodney. I said, why me? I said, well, he was from New York. You're from New York. You love baseball. He loved baseball. And I got to meet Lester Rodney. I, I did a nice interview with him, and I played it on, on the A's show. Uh, you know, I did so many interviews. Um, but that that was a good moment. That was a nice moment.
0: You know, I, I I think about Vida as he got older. And Vida did a lot of television, did a lot of radio. And, yeah. and you can speak to this. A lot of the people that he worked with, Vida Blue was just an older player that they kept hearing about. He won the MVP, won the Cy Young, he won the World Series. And somehow that can really ruffle older players when they're working with younger people who didn't see them play. They don't know about their greatness. Vida was so generous and kind, even with the young people who really didn't know how great he was just talk about as he got older and he started to do TV and he was great on TV. Cause you know, he's Vita blue. He had, he, he had charisma. He had the great sense of humor. People don't mention that enough. He had an outstanding sense of humor, but he was just always so cool to everybody when a lot of older players that might've kind of ruffled their feathers that they're working with these young people who really don't know how good they were.
1: No, he never big leagued anybody. Boom, That's it. He never big leagued anybody. He was genuine. He was he was a genuine person. When we met, I met him first in 1987 when I was doing Giant's Vision. I was programming the board in 1987, going from court in a suit to a candlestick doing this stuff. I had played softball with the people who ran Giant's Vision. And I got to meet Vita. And I, one of my favorite pictures is Vita with my son, Evan, who's about nine years old at that point. And Ev's sitting there and Vida's got his arm around him and just a big big happy feeling uh, of, of the two of them in that picture. You could tell how genuine Vida was and how excited Evan was to be in a picture with Vida. And that's who he was. Um, it just didn't matter who you were. Uh, he would kid around. He did the, the ad for me for Nations uh, on the show yeah. that, that, you know, of course, you know that. Yeah. And uh, nations would give out these little certificates, you know, for free hamburger, free strawberry pie, whatever. And I'd give him the Vita. And then he would turn around and give them the kids. He would give them the other people. And that's what he did. Uh, There was just a, a, a real feeling. You know how you talk to people and sometimes you talk to them and they're looking through you and they're not really engaged with you in the moment. He was engaged in the moment with you. Whenever you talked with him, you you were engaged with him. Raff does my show like Cody does yours. Cody does a fabulous job, and uh, Raff would be there, and and Vida would come into the studio, and you know Raff is a big Chicago Bears fan, and Vida would go, "Hey, how about your Bears today?" And um, you know he was always something. There was a guy in the gym who talked too much, and Vida said, "We're going to call you the Mayor from now on." Uh, there was just. He didn't. If you didn't tell me Vita Blue was a major leaguer, I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know it. But he was a major league person. And that's what I'll always remember about him.
0: I had a conversation with him one time, you know, because basically Vita was so unique being a star and that he starred for the A's and the Giants. But later on, everything was really, you know, he worked for the Giants, he worked around the Giants. I know there was a part of him, and I we had that conversation. It did hurt that the A's way back when didn't celebrate their former players, especially from the '70s, because really all that should have been done on the other side of the bay. He was a three-time World Series champion, the MVP, the Cy Young, the All-Star game. All of his (laughs) true greatness was really with the A's. I I know, and you know, I'm not trying to divide A's versus Giants or anything. It's just I, I know that kind of bugged him that later on everything wasn't about a's everything he did was just giants
1: well it's it's the way the a's marketed uh in those days and i've said this so many times uh, you think about a fantasy camp how about going with raleigh fingers and joe rudy and sal bando and campy campanaris and catfish and and uh, ken holtzman i mean think about it those were those mega 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 stars the history of the A's franchise in the in early years of Oakland in the, the 70s, they're megastars. The Giants did not have people like that. The Giants celebrated Mays, McCovey, Marischal, Perry, Cepeda. They were gone in the 60s. But these guys took over in the 70s, but the A's never quite marketed them properly. Uh, I would love to be in a fantasy camp with those guys, and I no was. No doubt. I was. I mean, to, to be there... I never understood why the A's couldn't market their history better than they did. It it was just a crime, honestly, that they didn't.
0: But I I, I do think what we do now that we finally, you know, we just honored 72, 73. And I was so happy now that Vitus passed just to think, you know, it wasn't just a few weeks ago we honored the 73 team The fact that he got to be with his brothers, his teammates, one more time before he passed, for them and for him, I know he was sick, he was not doing well, but it meant so much for Vida, one last time to be with these guys.
1: It was huge. It was huge. And I haven't seen Vida for a while and haven't talked to him for a while. But through Bill Lasky, I would hear how Vida was doing. I knew he was very, very, very sick. And uh, for him to show up and to be part of 1973, he had lost a lot of weight. He was probably down to 140, 150 pounds at that point. But to be there and be part of that celebration was fabulous. And just to see some of the pictures and to know, to hear your description uh, with Cody of, of when Vida and Reggie yeah. hugged, it was it was chilling for me to hear it. Gave me goosebumps to hear it. So those are the moments of life where baseball, we are a community. We're a family. Everything that goes on within the world of baseball touches everyone. We, this is our community. Vita Blue was a major part of our community and to see how the community has embraced him now and has supported everyone who has such grief about his passing is wonderful. And then to hear how the community of his friends and teammates embraced him on that day makes it all worthwhile. That's who we are. We're a baseball community, no matter what happens.
0: Yeah. And at three o'clock, I did a sit down interview with him, which I think is probably his last sit down official interview. Uh, We're going to play it at three o'clock. People will be able to watch it, listen to it. Um, Such a special man. Well, you know how much you've meant to my career. You know what yeah. you've meant to the A's fan base. You know what you've meant to the Giants fan fan base. I mean, I think it's bigger than that. I think it's what you've meant to the entire Bay Area f- baseball fan base because there's the people that remember Triple A baseball and what baseball used to be like and, and the, histor- the history of the Giants and the Dodgers in New York or the A's in Kansas City and Philadelphia. You've been really the only one on a regular basis for all these years, to have the answers, to have the interviews, to have the thoughts, uh, what you've meant to Bay Area baseball. What's why you got a bobblehead, and it's why you're uh, why you're a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. You, what you've meant to all of us means so much.
1: Yeah. It's very kind of you to say that. And, and uh, you know, I've, no one has done more for A's, radio, TV, information for the fans than you. And I've told you this for years, uh, you know, and I did shows from 1998 to 2009. I was on every single day, producing my own show, doing my own thing. But no one can come close to what you've done uh, of, of continuing the story of the Oakland A's under all sorts of circumstances. You've never wavered and you've shown your love for baseball. So you're really the guy, Chris. Uh, you, you're the guy of the moment, and uh, you, you got your pitch. You didn't miss it, and the A's are so lucky to have you there. They really are.
0: I got to tell you, that means a lot. That means a lot.
1: Oh, uh, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, there, There is no one who's – and I listen to you after a game, uh, and you and the captain kick it around, and it could be the most miserable game in the world. <laughs> and then you yeah. come on. And here's and I call the captain, Ken Korak, the captain, because he took over for Bill King when Bill died. Ken had to step up. He had to be the captain of the ship. So I call him the captain. But to listen to you guys make sense of a game for the fans and not complain about this and that. But to talk baseball with with an uplifting voice and Ken with his voice, I think it's a highlight for me. I almost wait for that part. For when he can be with you to recap the game, and you you bring that to the table, Chris. And there's no one. I've I've been around A's baseball for 50 years. I, I worked as hard as I could from 1996 to 2009 f- with the A's, for the A's, doing all the shows. But nobody comes close to the heart of what Oakland A's baseball like you, and it's really pretty pretty special, man. Well, pretty as special. You no, know,
0: it's. Whether the times we're in now—I mean, all the years, all the stations, all the drama, all the—and you know, everything that's going on now—it's hard not to be emotional. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it, it's not easy, as you know. It's really not to yeah. do it every day and to uh, try and keep <laughs> it in between the lines and the players and the—you the, know, there's it's, its a lot that goes into it. I don't, i don't think people really understand. So, no.
1: your words no. are very no. kind. No. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and uh, they'll never understand what it is to put these shows together and make sure someone shows up on time <laughs> to have your content ready, uh, because it's entertainment, and to be able to come on with that enthusiasm, because that's what baseball is. People want to know they're going to go to the game with a friend, and that's what you bring to this broadcast. When I come, when Cody calls or you call and say, what would you like to be on? Absolutely, because I'm talking baseball with a friend. And that's what the great broadcasters can do, the great people in baseball can do. It, It keeps us together because we enjoy it every day. Every day we get another game, it's another story. But I get to do it with you, or I get to listen to Ken. And that's it's huge to be able to do that. And folks should understand, it is not easy to do it. I've been doing it for 27 years, and I'm telling you, it's my own show, and I got to book the guests and get the guests and and do the whole thing, set up the equipment and all that stuff. And it was it was crazy, but we do it because we love the fans. I like the fans, and you like the fans too. I love when you talk to the fans and they call up. You like the fans. I like getting the calls. I like to talk to the fans, and that's what you bring to the table, also. And they're lucky, Chris. They're lucky to have you. And you have the baseball roots. Your grandfather, MVP of the National League, Bob Elliott, in 1947. He was a Pacific Coast League star. He was a World Series star with the Boston Braves. And, I mean, come on. With that background, you better live up to it.
0: Yeah. Thank you, my friend. You be well.
1: Uh, Anytime. You know that.
0: The great Marty Lurie. A very, very special edition of A's Unfiltered, remembering the great Vita Blue. He will be missed. What a special man he was, and what a life he led. We'll never forget you, Vita. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.